This is Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to the Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success podcast, where we talk with marketing and agency executives and learn how they build successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Stefan Horst. The topic for today's episode is retail trends and expectations for Q4 retail and e-commerce. Here to speak with me is Elaine Kwan, who is the founding and managing partner at Quantified, an e-commerce management and research firm specializing in fashion and beauty growth online. Elaine is a multilingual e-commerce sales leader with demonstrated success in identifying, strategizing, and resolving hierarchies of product with powerful solutions within the constantly evolving and competitive landscape. Elaine, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Stefan. Now, Elaine, before we talk about the retail trends and expectations, tell listeners a little bit more about yourself. How did you get started in your career and what led you to founding Quantified? Yeah, absolutely. So taking a step back, I'd say that it feels like fate, <laughs> but really I spent different parts of my career um, in different angles of the e-commerce uh, world, starting with the warehouses actually at a company called Big Master Car, where I worked in the receiving department and really understood what it took operationally to provide same-day shipping on e online orders way before Amazon did. Um, and so that really helped me understand, okay, the amount of capacity, people, machines it took to run, um, you know, at the time, one of the most cutting-edge online businesses. Uh, switching gears, I also worked at Amazon where I started getting into the business side of building an e-commerce behemoth, you know, what it took to build supply across categories. And then on the demand side, what it took to build the best customer experience and understanding that consumers have a very particular way of shopping. And if you understood what they were looking for and what their behavioral trends meant, you could make the difference between positioning a product through certain campaigns that could make 8,000 times what its competitor products could make if positioned differently. Um, and I think in my experience, seeing all these things happen, working specifically in the fashion, beauty, softline space, I started hearing a very similar complaint over and over again. Um, and this complaint, this concern really was coming from brands and manufacturers who would say, you know, hey, it's, it's great that you know, Amazon is growing 30% year over year. It's great that you know, this channel is growing so quickly, but, but we, the brand, or we, the manufacturer, uh, we did the math and we're actually unprofitable selling to you. Or you know, we actually are not growing despite all this growth that this channel is seeing. And, um, and that really bothered me because it pointed towards these signs of, okay, this situation, this gap may not be sustainable for the future of e-commerce. Uh, and it wasn't just a one-off problem. We started seeing the same concern, very similar complaint across, you know, every category that I could get my hands on. Um, and so this started for me, inspiring me to think of, you know, how do we try to help and assist in resolving this issue? What will it take? And that's really where the idea for Quantified was born. 
Hmm. Now, today's topic is, is retail trends and expectations. What are the trends in or for Q4 in 2022? What do you see? Yeah. Yeah, I would say one of the biggest trends that we're seeing right now is that retailers are trying to extend and lengthen the holiday shopping season. Um, now, as we all know, the holiday shopping season is is known historically to be the peak for almost everybody. But in recent years, especially between the height of COVID and how quarantine changed consumer shopping behavior, and then the the entry of Gen Z uh, as a larger demographic of consumers within within the target demographic, um, I'd say that the consumer behavior has become a lot more malleable. And as a result, retailers see an opportunity to extend and lengthen this holiday season. Now, how do we go about that? I mean, you know, from, from, from my own experience with, with e-commerce clients, you usually see a drastic drop-off probably a week prior to the holidays, right? That's when usually e-commerce sales drop because it's hard for sellers to basically fulfill orders close to, you know, the holidays, you know? Mm-hmm. And then after the holidays, it's like, oh gosh, we did all the shopping. Now we need a break from that. And things start to pick up a little bit in January, but depending on, you know, what your product is and what you're selling, it might still be slow moving. How do e-commerce sellers extend that period? Yeah, and that's a, that's a great question. I think I should clarify by saying by extending or lengthening the season, what we're saying is they are starting the season much earlier than what mm. we're used to. Um, and they're doing it even now, actually. Um, so we're, you know, we're talking right now in October, uh, mid-October. And one thing that, you know, as a consumer, you may have seen is that you may have been bombarded with emails, social media notifications, targeted ads, just messaging, lots of deals, 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 deals. And I think, you know, one underlying set of messages that has come out very clearly is this idea of self-gifting. And so that's actually, that started prominently last year by certain e-com retailers who wanted to figure out and wanted to test ways to start the holiday shopping season early. Now, of course, you know, we knew that consumers were not necessarily going to start buying gifts for others for, let's say, you know, the end of December holidays that early in October, but what if we messaged it towards a self-gifting theme, you know, like before you start buying gifts for others, buy something for yourself. You know, is there something that you wanted perhaps that, you know, you've had your eye on, but just haven't bought this year. And so there's been a huge, um, I'd say adoption for October, this Q4 of lots of deal messaging with this underlying idea that consumers will first think of perhaps getting themselves something or getting something for their home or their family that perhaps they've needed for a while, but just, you know, haven't gotten around to purchasing um, and really using this period to start kicking that off. Um, I'd say, you know, combined with the fact that, you know, just economically interest rates has changed uh, very recently. And so there's even this idea, some, you know, media outlets that are talking about encouraging consumers to buy now, 
because, you know, your money will be worth a little bit, you know, a little bit more now versus perhaps waiting until later. And so I'd say coupled with it, there's a couple different factors uh, that have all played into this, but there are several signs um, that have been uh, several tactics that have been used to try to start that whole season much earlier than it was historically. So what we're basically talking about is just create another reason to create a sales event. I mean, we have already Black Friday, we have Cyber Monday, we have we have kind of the push towards, you know, people needing to buy or wanting to buy, however you want to look at it, um, presents for family, friends, etc. At the end of the day, it's just creating another reason for for sales. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that is that is very true. And I think you're bringing up a really interesting point which hits on the impact it's having on the consumer because, you know, these retailers are putting out and testing um, these different types of sales and events, hoping that the consumer will respond, that the consumer will take. Um, and just, you know, like, it's very much a, it's very much a conversation. So these retailers are putting these events out and it is having an impact on how consumers view and how they shop and what their behaviors are now, even compared to, let's say, two years ago. Now, aren't retailers devaluing themselves and their products by constantly offering sales? I mean, look, um, there are brands out there on purpose. They don't offer sales, right? Because... They're premium, luxury, et cetera. They just don't want to be perceived as this brand that, that constantly sells something. Where, where I live, there's a, there's a furniture store, you know, a couple of miles down on the freeway. And literally, I feel like every month they have a different sale. <laughs> is, that, is that really, from your perspective, is that really something that, that can sustain or that a company can sustain and can use to continuously grow? Because from my perspective, over time, it just devalues your brand. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And it's, um, there are many different parts of that debate, uh, which is very much, uh, it's an ongoing conversation. Now, some argue that you know, there have always been many deals. It just depends on, you know, where you, if you knew where to look for them or, you know, if you took some effort and time to search for them. And then some argue that maybe there are actually very similar types of deals in terms of the actual discount percentages that consumers can enjoy. But the difference is that deals now find a way to be much more in your face than they used to be previously, thanks to, you know, internet, social media, and all of that. But what I would really want to emphasize here is that, you know, these types of events, uh, yes, you know, long term, they may not be, they may not have the impact that retailers want. But I think they're grabbing on to the current opportunity, which is, hey, if I don't do it, someone else is going to. And sure enough, when someone else you know, another retailer does, they're quoting crazy numbers, you know, huge sales for, for the duration of that event. And so it kind of becomes um, a bit of, oh my gosh, well, you know, if so-and-so is doing it, I should match it because otherwise that will not only impact, you know, the opportunity cost for me, but I may actually lose money if I don't. And so there, there very much becomes this uh, kind of jumping on the bandwagon mob mentality of we all have to make sure we're, we're staying in line with one another to give the customer the best. So if one retailer decides they're going to have an event during this month, others may try to find ways to compete. Um, and I think what has happened as a result is that the consumer has now, you know, 
lot savvier than the consumer that was, you know, let's say 10 years ago. And I think we're seeing a pattern of consumers who now know when they want to splurge and they're planning for it. They still want the deal, but they are now planning for when they will splurge on that deal. Um, and they're not just looking at reviews of the products on your website. They're comparing it to reviews of the same product on your competitor's website. They're not just looking at one brand. They're looking at the whole category of brands before deciding which one they want to choose. There's a lot more research that's happening by the consumer. So one key difference between, let's say, a successful deal event today versus 10 years ago is 10 years ago, you could put a product um, on a highly trafficked website, put it on a promotion, let's say, you know, 15, 20% off. And the, the mere time sensitivity of that deal would result in a pretty successful sell-through. Consumers would buy it. They would impulse shop that deal mm -hmm. in the moment. Now, that is not the case. As you know, we saw last week, even with the new Prime Early Access sale by Amazon, um, Amazon announced the event quite late into the game. It's the first time they've ever had something like this. And unfortunately, the consumer adoption of the event was was quite low, uh, according to you know, our metrics. And um, you know, part of that is, is that the consumer cannot be tricked into an impulse purchase the way that they used to be. Now, they want to know ahead of time, okay, okay, I can expect you know, these great deals happening during this time. This is what I'm going to buy. These are the brands I've researched. This is what I'm looking for. Um, and so just popping something onto them is not quite as effective as it used to be. Could it also be that there are too many sales events at the end of the day? You know, um, according to what sales look like, it doesn't appear to be that way quite <laughs> yet. <laughs> it looks like, you know, there there is quite a lot of interest in them. Um, but I think it's, you know, people want to know what they're buying and, and have a plan for it ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, you talked about motivation for retailers, why they would kind of want to extend this. You, you talked about a little bit group pressure, right? If, if my competitor does it and I don't do it, I might miss out on it if it is successful. So I'm, I'm following suit, so to speak. Are there any other reasons why retailers think extending the season will work? And, and why do they want it to work? Why do they want to give more away? I mean, you know, when, whenever you do a sale, it means you're reducing your profit margin at the end of the day, right? Because you have to give up a little bit to create that excitement and that, that increased interest to buy a specific product? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's two things. One's short-term and the other is a much more long-term play. Um, the short-term play being, you know, there's a lot of inventory sitting in a lot of warehouses right now. And we're talking about inventory that, you know, might have been sitting there from last year uh, or even older. And so before we get into the peak holiday season where there is newness, there are new products, there's the freshest, latest, hottest version of, of, you know, product X, we need to get rid of products, you know, A, B, and C first. And so there's, there's definitely a short-term need for that. But I think the longer-term need and why we have even larger events, uh, not just, you know, hey, here's a, here's a sale, but we're talking huge events where millions of dollars of TV ads and, you know, campaigns are being driven um, for awareness, that there's a much more long-term play to be gained from that, which is we need the consumer to con continue 
to come to us and use us as the channel to purchase X or Y or Z goods. Um, and what we're seeing is that consumer or sorry, the retailers are using these events to target different categories, uh, whether it's, hey, beauty saw a huge lift during the COVID period, especially in 2020, and it has continued to grow uh, quite a lot since then. You know, there are retailers who are focusing in on that and saying, hey, we're going to take what is typically a down month for us, a slower month for us, and we're going to run a huge company-wide event, really focused on beauty products, um, in the hopes that not only will we gain short-term sales and work through some of this inventory we've got, but maybe we'll get new customers who may have not purchased beauty on our website before. And now they'll, they'll start getting into the habit of buying this type of product from us. So maybe a month or two from now, when they're shopping for holiday gifts for others, they'll think about us again. And so there's this longer term play for trying to get net new customers to start, start shopping on the platform as well. So basically what you're saying is there's also a big element of brand awareness there, you know, kind of trial us. You, you might not be able to buy us or they might have bought their products before, but now that they're discounted, you know, it might be ideal time to test the products, you know, and therefore create kind of a relationship, a stronger bond between that customer and the brand. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think it's also important to provide more context with that, which is, you know, 2020 really shook up consumer behavior for, for very obvious reasons. And as a result of consumer behavior, you know, getting shaken up, entire product categories had to rectify all these changes. You know, if you're used to seeing, you know, let's say, Consumers buying rain gear and rain boots during the spring season when right before lots of showers may happen, but then suddenly no one's buying rain boots and raincoats because they're all staying inside. I mean, that's, that's a huge shift. And it's not, you know, not just one state or one city. We're talking about the whole country. And so there, there are ramifications for the fact that, you know, many product categories saw a huge shift during that period. And although there are, there's more of the quote-unquote normal behaviors coming back, retailers have taken advantage of that huge shakeup by making the shopping experience and the journey through the year more malleable. So if you think about the calendar year, we previously had, you know, maybe Mother's Day, Father's Day, uh, and then holiday. You know, some of the big mm -hmm. events for the year, shopping-wise. Now you've got a major event that is driving traffic and driving conversion every single month. I mean, one of the last months that was left untouched was October, right? Outside of Halloween, a lot of categories are generally quite quiet during October, gearing up for November, December. Now that's not the case anymore. Now you've got these huge deals and massive events happening in October to start the holiday shopping season early. And if you even look at Nordstrom, JCPenney, Bloomingdale's, uh, you name it, they've all got strong deal language or even holiday shopping language already on their website. Mm -hmm. Now, in order to have a flourishing e-commerce business, supply chain is something really important. Last year, obviously, was, was chaotic from a supply chain perspective. Do you see similar issues happening this year or is, is the industry out of that and there's smooth sailing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the short answer is, Yes, I think we will see 
some inventory supply chain issues uh, this winter. It won't be for the same reasons as last year, though. And it likely, we think, will not be as severe as it was last year. The supply chain issues that we're seeing or expect to see this year are an evolution from what happened last year. Um, and so just, you know, kind of backing up, the reasons for last year's supply chain issues, you know, were largely as a result of the physical difficulty of managing the capacity uh, required to move all of the inventory that retailers wanted, right? There weren't enough people, there weren't enough boats. There weren't enough space on the boats. There wasn't enough time. And on top of that, the delays um, on top of the constraints themselves um, at ports. And so, you know, there was a lot of the physical transportation difficulty that was holding up and causing a lot of those issues last year. This year, it's a little bit different. This year, there's actually more of a cash flow issue uh, that is affecting inventory right now. Because, um, again, as I mentioned, there's a lot of you know, excess inventory and retailers, they're trying to get rid of it. They have to get rid of it. And it's difficult for them to justify taking in a ton of more, you know, more inventory before they're able to get through what they've already got. And so there's a, there's a bit of a difficult situation here where, you know, some retailers are saying, hey, I really want to get all of your new stuff in, but I have to get rid of the, you know, $5 million of old things that I've got here still. And I think, you know, they're using the October deals as a way to try to alleviate some of that. But I think what a lot of them are choosing to do is go light and say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm only going to buy one or two pieces instead of 20 right, of each of the products that we talked about. And if we start selling through and see more demand, hey, hey, I'll come back and buy some more. But I can't make the same types of commitments that we're used to making. And that's, that's, gonna, that's going to likely cause a bit of an issue when, let's say, you have a really strong week or consumers start really picking up for the holiday shopping season and then, bam, you're out of stock. Um, and so I, I think that the supply chain issue will be felt by consumers, but it won't be quite as severe as last year. And it's, again, it's evolved. The reasons that will be causing it are different from last year's. Now, during, during the pandemic, so in height of the pandemic, a lot of stores were closed because, you know, people didn't go out. They, they stayed home, which kind of impacted businesses quite a lot. A lot of brick and mortar businesses went online because, you know, that's where the customers were. So they had to discover e-commerce. They had to set up e-commerce stores. How does it work? How do they fulfill, etc. Now, how do companies grow their e-commerce business beyond Q4 2022? How and what do you suggest they should do to have a continuous growth for 2023 and beyond? Yeah, great question. So I think there's so many ways to to start answering that question. What I will say is that, you know, I think I think the best way to try to start putting together a strategy for growth is really reliant upon, you know, one, what product category are you in? Because every single category does have a niche approach for getting their target consumer. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to soft lines, you know, fashion and beauty because that's that's what I primarily work in. Um, and so if we were talking about, let's say, a new beauty brand or a new apparel brand or whatnot, um, I think the best way to really start approaching that is, you know, one, as a brand itself, who is your consumer and what 
ideologies are you putting out there that will help that consumer start connecting with you, relating to you. But on a more tactical level, uh, the idea is, you know, I think we've seen a lot of success in baby brands who are just getting started investing in higher funnel tactics three to six months prior to their peak season to really build and widen their consumer funnel. Um, And then shifting that spend into lower funnel tactics for conversion once they get into the peak. And so I think, you know, I think historically we've seen a lot of strategies where, you know, you, you continue to spend on higher funnel tactics and lower funnel tactics at the same time and almost equal spend, peak spend during that peak season. Um, and now we're actually very much shifting away from that uh, and gearing it out in phases where there's a lot more attention and money being spent uh, many months before peak season happens on that higher level funnel widening and then shifting that towards the lower funnel during the peak. Um, and that's, that's been incredibly effective, especially for e-commerce. Um, and so I think there's, there's obviously a few different ways we can talk about it. You know, one is on the more ideological side, which is as a brand, what should you be doing to just build your consumer profile and, and make a consumer interested in you? So there's that conversation. But then there's also, of course, the, the marketing and more tactical side, which is what do we have to do to get their attention and then bring them in for conversion? Elaine, before we come to the end of today's podcast episode, what do you see successful fashion and beauty brands do online? I would say, you know, this might be a little unintuitive, but we're seeing a huge demand and a lot of efficacy coming from research. Um, and of course, speaking from, you know, our experience, but it's becoming even more important now for brands to understand you know, what do you really know about how your category is performing? It's not enough to know that, you know, as a brand, you're growing, let's say, 45% year over year, when in reality, your category might actually be growing 67% year over year. So understanding, okay, what is that gap, if there is one? And then what is the difference? What is the category or some of the leaders and competitors in the category doing that perhaps you're not? And how do we start adjusting or you know, including that as part of the strategy? And so I think the bottom line is there's a lot more research Uh, a lot more information, key insights that are being requested and being being created uh, as a result. Because as you mentioned, you know, there's so much more emphasis and importance on succeeding within the e-com space now more than ever. So, you know, I think understanding the research component is something that, again, was something that, um, you know, only the, the biggest brands with the most resources um, was interested in investing in, let's say, you know, 10 years ago. But now we're seeing it as part and parcel as one of the most uh, commonly requested and in-demand parts uh, of the relationships that we have with brands and helping them grow. Elaine, thank you so much for joining me on the Performance of the Web podcast and uh, sharing your knowledge on you know, the retail trends and expectations for Q4 2022. If people want to find out more about you and Quantified, how can they get in touch? My inbox is open. Um, email address is elaine at quantified.com. Um, you can find us um, through our website, quantified.com, um, as well as uh, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, thanks everyone for listening. 
If you like the Performance Delivered podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at SymphonicHQ. Thanks again and see you next time. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small and medium businesses at symphonicdigital.com.